0: You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. My name is John Whitaker, and it's been a while since I've been down here, but uh, Josh, Jake, and Andrew were all students of mine uh, back in the day at Boise Bible College, and so I'm well-connected with them, and um, there are people in the audience that I have known for like over 30 years, and then there's people that I've never met before. Um, And almost everyone is gone. Josh is in Alaska. Uh, Andrew is up at winter camp. Jake just is returning from having his second kid. Uh, And so Josh asked if I would uh, fill in. So you got me today, all right? And... We're talking about an important topic, raising disciples. And last week, Josh talked about marriage and singleness and how that fits into discipleship. In this case, we're talking about passing on the faith to the next generation. And as uh, Lindsay just said during the family dedications, that that's obviously a lot of that happens in our own homes and in our own families, but it's not exclusive to our own families that other people have a role to play in that. And so what we're gonna talk about today will have a lot to do with families and our homes, but it'll also have to do with, but what about others of us, and how could we pass on the faith to the next generation as well? So to just kind of warm us up for that, I thought it might be helpful if you knew a little bit about my background, and I'm gonna put up some pictures here in a second, of my family, all right? Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I, um, in fact, I never even heard the gospel until I was 12 years old. Um, I didn't grow up in a home where we prayed before meals. Didn't grow up in a home where we read the Bible. There was no discipleship. It was a good moral home. We actually went to church most Sundays. Imagine that. But it wasn't a church that ever taught the gospel. I literally never heard the gospel until I was 12. Um, But when uh, I was 12... Some family friends uh, invited us to uh, visit their church, and we started attending their church. I'll tell more about that in a second. And that was the beginning of me learning the way of Jesus. Uh, And from that, I went to Bible college. And in the goodness and the grace of God, He blessed my wife and I with two kids. And now my kids are grown and they have their own kids. So I think I got some pictures. So this is my son and his wife and his two girls. Violet and Emmy, who are uh, four and two. And the next one is my daughter and her husband and her two kids. And her two kids, we just had their birthday yesterday, and they're four and two. So, and then my daughter, this is uh, pictures from several months ago, my daughter is expecting her third child in the next six weeks. And so my kids kind of pushed fast forward on life, and you know we went from zero to five kids in less than five years, and our grandkids. And, and here is here's the thing: um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And and probably the, the one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me in His goodness and His grace is that my kids are walking with Jesus, and and then I get the privilege of watching my kids pour Jesus into my grandkids. Um, And not only that, because they all live in the area, I get to be involved in it too. Um, And it's really pretty remarkable. Um, About 13, 14 months ago, my daughter, who is, she's got the two and got the third one on the way, she's 24, she started young. (laughs) Um, She had a three-year-old and a one-year-old 13 months ago, and she she. Called me up, said, Dad, I need to get back to reading my Bible on a regular basis. It's a little challenging when you got small kids at home. I said, Well, the key to it is time, place, and plan. And so she she thought about it. She got back to me a couple days later. She said, here's my, here's my time, place, and plan. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna get the kids breakfast, and while they're sitting at the table eating breakfast, I'm gonna just read my Bible and pray. I'm like win-win. Kids see mom reading the Bible and praying, and and that implicitly models for them something that's important. Um, and then mom herself has a time, place, and plan to read her Bible and pray. Um, well, what grew out of that, unexpectedly, was this. Um, she starts, she's going to read the New Testament. She starts in Matthew. Her dad's, you know, been a Bible college professor. So all of a sudden, I get a text uh, you know, in January of 2022. Hey, Dad, I got some Bible questions. So I call her up, and we talk on the phone. For the last 13, 14 months, almost every morning, Monday through Friday, we've had a 30-minute Bible study over the phone. Wow. Because, hey, Dad, I got some questions. Um, and, and she's did Old Testament. She's back on the New Testament again this year. That's amazing that I get to be involved in that. Well, here's the impact of that. Little Briley, her daughter, who's four, Now, when when she's over the house, hey, Papa, I got a Bible question. (laughs) Um, This opportunity to raise disciples, right, happens in the home, but it involves beyond just our immediate family to extended family and to people who are, right? So like I said, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. When I was 12, these family friends invited us to church. His name is Bill Wingard. I didn't have a dad. My earliest childhood memory is the night my dad walked out on my mom when I was three years old. Um, So here I am at 12 years old. Bill and Kenny Wingard invited us to visit their church. We started attending their church. Bill knew we had no dad in the home. So Bill took uh, my brother and I under his wing. When he'd go out logging on his property, he would take us. When he'd go out boating on Puget Sound, he'd take us. Uh, sometimes he'd take us boating on Puget Sound. We'd spend the night on some island, and we'd you know hang out. Whenever we did that, there would be, if we were staying the night on his boat overnight on some island, he'd break out his Bible. He'd read the Bible to us. We'd take communion. Um, we were logging on his property. We got stuck in the mud. We couldn't get out. We were back in the middle of nowhere. And the first thing he said was, I, th- I think we need to pray. And Bill modeled... For my brother and I, what it looked like to follow Jesus. Didn't really ever preach to us, but he modeled for us. What does a Christian man look like? It was the first time I saw somebody actually walk with God. Um, I, when we were uh, that went on for about three years. When I was sophomore in high school, we changed churches had very little contact with Bill after that, during my teenage years. Graduated, went to Bible college, graduated Bible college, went to grad school. I'm 23, 24 years old, living in Cincinnati in in grad school. And I told my wife, I said, I feel like I need to write a letter to to Bill Wingard and let him know where I'm at because of the influence he had on my life. I'm following Jesus because of his example, because he took a kid from a broken home under his wing. So I wrote a letter to Bill Wingard. A few weeks later, I get a letter back, and the letter says, John, I'm so happy to hear what you're doing and that you're following the Lord. This has been eight years since I'd last seen him. I still pray for you every Friday. The impact that you as a church have on people's lives because maybe you're willing to invest yourself and pour yourself out into other people's lives who knows, right? Who knows what impact? So we're gonna to talk today about passing on the faith to the next generation. And much of what we're gonna say is gonna to have to do with the family, right? But not just the family, the family, the whole family. And the impact we, we can have, whether, whether as a, a, a grandpa or a grandma or a mentor or a teacher um, and all of that. And, and, and the reality is, When it comes to raising disciples and passing on the faith to the next generation, I hate to say this, we just had family educations, but I'm going to say it. This is important. The fact of the matter is we have no guarantees. You can live for, for Jesus. You can follow Jesus. You can do everything in your power to point your kids towards Jesus, and you have no guarantees that they will choose Jesus. We just have to be honest about that right? I know plenty of people, super godly people. I know what went on in their home and I know how godly their home was. And, and they have a son or a daughter who's not following Jesus. So we have no guarantees. Nevertheless, there are some things that, um, that help. <laughs> there are some things that give us a better chance of our kids loving Jesus and following Jesus, right? And so I want to talk about just some of the things that are really, really helpful and important, all right? And here's the first thing. The first first key thing, whether it's in a Sunday school class, whether it's in church, whether it's in a mentoring relationship, whether it's in your home as mom and dad, here's the first key thing. It's the right environment. you got to have the right environment. Um... And let me, let me just set this in context of a couple passages of Scripture as we talk about this. Ephesians chapter 6, Lindsay read it uh, during family dedications, but it's the, the classic passage. Ephesians chapter 6, 4 tells us what we're supposed to do as parents. It says this, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Right? This is our goal. If we're going to raise disciples, our goal is to bring them up, to nurture them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to do that? And sitting in a church service, there could be a number of answers to that question. Why would you want to bring them up in the discipline and the, the nurture of the Lord? You could say, well, because I, I want them to go to heaven when they die. Okay, okay. That's good, right? You could say, well, that's because that's just who we are as a family. Why would you want to bring them up in the, the instruction or the discipline and the nurture of the Lord? Well, look at, look at another passage, Colossians chapter 3. Or, sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Um, and it says this. says, I want you to attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, and then here's the key line, verse three. In whom are all, not some, not most, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why would you want to bring up kids In the admonition and instruction of the Lord. Because Jesus is the smartest person in the universe. That's why. He he is the treasure chest of wisdom and knowledge. He knows more than anybody else. And when when we say wisdom in the context of scripture, the word wisdom means like the art of living. Scripture, the skill of living. That's what wisdom refers to. So the wisdom literature in your Old Testament is trying to pass on to you the skill of living. So when we say Jesus has all the treasures of wisdom, we're saying Jesus actually knows how to do life the way life was meant to be done. So why would you want to raise disciples, raise up your kids in the instruction and, and nurture of the Lord? Why? Because Jesus is actually the expert at life. You don't believe that. It's going to be really you're not going to have much motivation to actually pass on the way of Jesus. But if Jesus actually knows how to do life, then it makes the most sense to pass on the way of Jesus to him, right? So here's here's the thing. Um, raising kids, passing on the way of Jesus to the next generation is actually the very best thing you could ever do for them. Passing on the way of Jesus is the very best thing you could ever do for, for young people and for kids. If Jesus is the expert at living, if he has the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then uh, learning his way is better than, than getting a great scholarship. If Jesus has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then learning his way is better than than having a great career. If all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus, then the very best thing we could ever do for the next generation is help them to learn all the wisdom and knowledge that Jesus has to offer. It's that simple. So that's why we want to do this. And so that brings us into the right environment. As we talk about some of the key things that will help us do this, we have no guarantees. How can we do that? How can we, how can we pass on the faith to the next generation? And the right environment is this. The right environment is cultivating a climate of love and grace. That's the key environment. Like in your home, cultivating a climate of love and grace. Um, In your interactions, if you're mentoring or whatever it is, right? In your interactions with the next generation, cultivating a climate of love and grace. Now, we have to be clear what that means. In the Bible, grace does not mean lowering the expectations. In the Bible, grace does not mean getting rid of the standards or the expectations. What does grace mean in the Bible? Grace means... Loving somebody, even though they don't live up to the expectations. Like In the Bible, God's expectations are pretty high. Be holy as I am holy. Is that a high standard? Like, you're, you're supposed to be as holy as God is. That's a pretty high standard, right? Um, God did not lower that standard to love you. He loved you, even though you didn't meet that standard. Right? He loved us even though we didn't live up to his expectations. He still loves us. That's grace. And that's the same kind of uh, climate we need to have in our homes and in our relationships with young people. A climate of love and grace where, where the expectations might be high, and guess what? The love and support and relational connectivity is just as high. That's a climate of grace, and that's desperately what kids need. Um, they, they can have high standards, but they desperately need to know that they are loved even when they don't meet those standards. Um, when, there's a, when there's a climate of love and grace in a home or in a relationship, it makes it safe to fail. When there's a climate of love and grace in that relationship, it's safe to make mistakes. It's safe to ask questions. It's safe to disagree. Right? Right? It's safe to stumble along as you you figure it out. That's the kind of environment that is desperately needed where there's there's godly expectations and there's high love and high support and high relational connectivity. Um, And that is critical if we're gonna pass on the faith to the next generation. And again, that's true whether it's in your own family, as a mom and dad with your kids or whatever it is, that's true there. It's also true in your relationship if you're mentoring somebody, coaching somebody, imparting the faith to them, where they can ask questions. I, um, a couple years ago, got a text from a 20-something young man. Um, he'd grown up in a Christian household. His dad had been an elder in a church. He had gone to Christian school. Um, and now, based on things he was reading, conversations he was having, he was beginning to have serious doubts about his faith. He was married. He had kids. Um, and his wife was like, you need to talk to John. (laughs) Um, So he reached out to me, and in the course of our conversation, I discovered he'd had other conversations. His dad, who had been an elder in church, right, sent him to Christian school. His dad, because he was struggling with his faith, got him, you know, arranged an appointment, brought an expert, and the expert just dumped all his reasons why he shouldn't have doubts about his faith, and and it was all true. And it was had zero impact and zero help. He still had the same questions, and he still was struggling with his faith. Why? Because it wasn't a safe place to ask questions and disagree and think. He desperately needed an environment. So for the next six weeks, we met once a week. We had coffee. And I said very little for the first two weeks. He asked us questions. He told me what he was reading. He told me what he was thinking about. I asked him some follow-up questions and got him thinking. After six weeks, he had a notebook full of thoughts and ideas, and I hadn't said tons, and he was like, I actually think I'm pretty solid, I'm pretty good here. He just needed a conversation partner to think things through. Not not an expert to dump all their knowledge on him, because he had questions. Grace and love create space where we can be different, we can wrestle, we can think, we can disagree, we can talk, right? And and when we're talking, passing on our faith to the next generation in our own families, as they grow older and they start to hit those teen years, they're gonna disagree. They're gonna think different. They're gonna say some things that are dumb. (laughs) They, They just are. And they're gonna think they're smart and you're gonna know they're not. And you can make them feel really dumb, or you could listen, and you could ask questions, right? So a climate of love and grace where it's safe to be different, and it's safe to think, and it's safe to fail, and it's safe to struggle, and it's safe to make mistakes, that is the right environment for passing on the faith to the next generation. Now, in that environment, let me give you just a handful of key practices. This is dangerous, what I'm about to do, right? (laughs) Like, this is not a parenting class or anything like that. There are no guarantees. There's so much being left unsaid in what I'm about to say. All right. So, so you have to know all of that. But with all that, here are just some things that um, were really helpful to my wife and I when we passed on the faith to our kids, Um, and I, I hope they're helpful to you. And again, these things are true in your own home. They're also true in mentoring relationships and other things. Um, So, here is the first key practice. It's this. Talking about the faith as part of just ordinary life. Just talking about your walk with God, talking about your faith, talking about the Bible just as part of your ordinary life. Um, uh, There's a, a little book about this thick that's the summary of a massive nationwide study on this very topic. What factors contribute to the next generation following in the footsteps of the faith of their parents? And they, they studied and surveyed all different faith backgrounds. Christians, uh, Muslims, Jews, right? Protestant Christians, Catholics, across the spectrum, all different things. And this little book summarizes that. Here was the thing, and they found this shocking. Here was the thing they discovered, like far and away beyond any other contributing factor was if the family routinely and regularly talked about their faith as they went about life. That was the number one thing that contributed to the kids following in the faith of the parents. Like, did they just talk about it during the week? As part of normal conversation, did they interact about it far and away? Radically made the biggest difference. Um, not even having like planned family devotions. You can do that if you want, but this isn't even talking about that. This is just like having conversation around the dinner table, in the car, um, you know, before bed, because a question gets asked, or whatever else it is. right? Like Just talking about it as part of a, your ordinary life is the number one factor this big study found for passing on the faith. Ironically, <laughs> um, took a big national study for us, for us to apparently discover that, but God knew this a long time ago. Um, <laughs> Lindsay alluded to it, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I mean, this is written, you know, 1500 B.C. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your... Sons and daughters, you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, as you go about life, talk about your faith, talk about God's instructions, and interact with it. That is far and away the most, most important key practice. I'm just talking about it. So it's, it's seen as not just a, a Sunday ritual, but it's seen as it's just part of life. This is who we are, this is what we do, right? Just talk about it. Um, I mean, when my little granddaughter comes over and says, "Papa, I got a Bible question," we're just talking about it as part of everyday life, right? This is normal. Um, so, grandparents, you have the opportunity to influence by talking about it, being part of it, praying with. It's just normal, um, right? Like this, far and away, is the most important thing that you could do to help kids learn about your faith. In fact, they, in this study, they were like, like families where they were at, they were at the church every time the doors were open, but they didn't talk about faith at home, had far less likely chance than families that went to church regularly, maybe not every service, but went to church regularly and talked about their faith as part of ordinary life. So talk about it. If, if, if you're following Jesus, then it should show up in what you, what you do in your home. That's the first key practice. Here's another one. Um, This has to do with virtues, and and that's this. Connecting expected behaviors to Christian virtues. Specific behaviors are specific ways virtues get manifested. And that might look different depending on individual places and times and situations and circumstances, right? But the virtue stays the same. So um, connecting specific behaviors to Christian virtues. Let me give you an example from like when our kids were small. Here's one of the ways it played out in in our family. Um, One of the the key virtues that was important to us because we see it as important in scripture was respect. Respect for other people, thinking of other people and considering other people and respect for other people. Um, So uh, kids are young, you know, five, six years old, four, five years old, somewhere in there, right? You know, you take kids to a restaurant when they're like three and four. Things could go a little crazy, right? Um, So we would always, before we went into the restaurant, this was the standard conversation. Now, we're going to go in there and we're going to eat. And there's going to be lots of other people that are in there eating too. You're not going to be the only ones in the restaurant. And so you know it's really important to think of other people and respect them, right? So what does that mean? That means we're not going to yell, scream, you know, throw food or anything like that. We're just not going to do that. So expected behaviors tied to a central virtue of respect in considering others. Um, <clears throat> when, when my son was about, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11, 12, uh, it's Todd up there, in Todd's class right there. He was in Todd's sixth grade class back in those days. when he's about that age, Todd. Um, <clears throat> Uh, we decided Louise and I were going to go out on a date, and so we were going to leave Jeff and Ashley home. And they were going to, this was going to be their first opportunity to stay home for a few hours without us. Um, we, had, we, you know, we had primed the pump. And so, Jeff, what does Philippians 2, 3, and 4 say? He could quote it because we had worked with him on that. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind. Consider others more important than yourself. Um, so, so, so this is what we said before we left. We said, Jeff, um, we're leaving, and uh, since you're older and since you're the guy, what does that mean? He says that means I'm in charge. <laughs> said exactly, you're in charge. Now, what does it mean to be in charge? So, what does Philippians two, three, and four say? Hangs his head, says it. Okay, so since you're in charge, that means you're going to think of your sister and not yourself. Right. Humility means thinking of others, not thinking of myself. Christian virtues, specific behavior. So what does that mean when we're gone? And he thought about some things, mentioned some things, right? Um, so connecting whatever those expected behaviors are to Christian virtues is critical. It's critical because what you want them to learn are the virtues, behaviors might change with time and place and situation, right? The specific way it might show up. So help them learn Christian virtue. Third practice um, is this. Uh, This has to do with kingdom values, that you should shape everything in your life around Jesus and the gospel and the values of that. Like school, how do you do school and why do you do it that way? Do you do it that way just so that you can get a good scholarship, so you can get a good education, so you can get a good job? That's the world's values. Or do you do it the way you do because of what matters to Jesus and how you can use your life for his purposes and for his honor and for his glory? or relationship with friends or relationship with neighbors or as they get older, relationship with coworkers or when we talk about sports, how do you play sports and why do you play sports and why do you play the way you do or dance or music, like everything in your life as families and as individuals and as these young people, um, shaping all of that around the gospel and Jesus and the values of the kingdom um, and, and beginning to help them think that through. Um, In order for that to happen, you yourself have to be learning kingdom values. You have to look at your career. You have to look at your relationships, the way you interact with people and why you interact with people that way uh, around kingdom values. What's the priorities of the kingdom and what would that look like? And then that begins to leak out into your, your relationships with your, your kids, or if you're mentoring them, or if you're a teacher at school and you have relationships with young people, right? It begins to leak out of that. The kingdom values shape the way you do things and why you do them that way and the way you think about things and all of that. Critical. Because um, you want them to be driven by the kingdom, not by this world. If you're going to raise a disciple, you want them to be driven by the kingdom, not this world. And then... A fourth, a fourth practice is this: Um, aim religious activities towards walking with not God, not being a good Christian. Aim religious practices towards walking with God, not just being a good Christian. We don't do that because you know we're Christians and we go to church. No, we don't do that because who God is, how God made you, how. Jesus has all the skill and wisdom of knowledge, so we, we're going to point him towards that. It's all about walking. So why should they go to church? Has, not to be a good Christian, but to walk with God. Um, why, why should they think about reading their Bible and praying? Not because it's a checkbox, check you know, I did my daily devotions and I'm a good little Christian. Because I want to get to know God. The why behind the behaviors is critical. Um... And so you want to aim it towards walking with God, not just being a good church member. (laughs) Who cares if they're a good church member, if they really don't know God? The goal is to know God and to walk with him and learn his ways. Because you're raising disciples, not not a good church member, right? Um, And so uh, aim aim all the religious activities towards that. Um, My son just told me recently, um, which was super, super encouraging. Um, said. So dad, I, it, it hit me. Um, yeah, wow. Now that I'm a dad, it hit me that um, those mornings where I would wake up early and I would find you reading your Bible and praying, that had more of an impact on me than going to church. Because I realized you were actually walking with God. You would go to church and listen to me preach, but what mattered was, no, my dad really walks with God. Um, So now what's he doing? Well, he's reading his Bible and praying. He's doing it with his kids, right? Because it's about walking with God. It's not just about being a good church member or anything else, being a good Christian. And then the fifth key practice is this. Pray, a lot, (laughs) because you have no guarantees. And the world, uh, the, the darkness is real. Um, and you desperately got to pray for young people. Again, if you're mentoring some, some young person, pray regularly for that person you're mentoring. If there's a young person in your life you're trying to impart the faith to uh, or pass on the faith to, right, and your influence is minimal, still, you can pray for them. Uh, Bill Wingard, I still pray for you every Friday. What impact did his prayers have on my life? Unquantifiable. Pray. Pray. Um, For your own kids, pray. Pray for them. Pray for future spouses. Pray for future people of influence. And one of my regular prayers was, at those moments where there's critical intersections in their life and they could go one way or the other and I can't be there, Lord, somehow bring somebody who will point them in your way. Regular prayer for my kids when they were growing up. Because you can't be everywhere your kids are going to be, particularly when they get their own driver's license, their own set of wheels, right? Um, So Pray. Pray on a regular basis. Um, And then then, uh, here's, here's the number one thing. Here's the most important factor, whether, again, as a parent, grandparent, whether a mentor or a teacher or a coach, here's the number one factor for passing on the faith to the next generation. It's this, your own walk with God, your own walk with God. If if you're not living as a disciple, how are you gonna make disciples? If, if you know, you just, you, you can't give what you don't got. All right? So how can you give a passionate love for God if you don't have one? You just can't. So your own walk with God is criti- critical. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, like, it just has to be real and authentic, right? You can light, a candle from a small flame. But there has to be a flame. <laughs> True? Um, and so your own walk with God is critical. And so here's the thing. Um, if you're walking with God, um, then you're going to want to pass that on to other people. If you're a flame for God, other people can light their candle from your flame. That's simple. Um, and so whether it's your own kids, whether it's, Uh, your grandkids, whether it's people you're coaching or mentoring or whatever else it is, you have the opportunity simply to give them Jesus. That's what you want to do. Give them Jesus. Why? Because he's the treasure chest of wisdom and knowledge. Just give them Jesus. And they'll leave, if you're raising your kids, they'll leave your house, and guess what? They won't be perfectly sanctified. They're not going to be completely holy when they leave your house. That's not your job. Your job is simply to get them on the road walking with Jesus. And guess who will sanctify them? Jesus. So give them Jesus. Help them to hold Jesus' hand tightly so that when they leave your home and they make stupid decisions and they do things as young adults that make you want to pull your hair out, because they will, even if they're good kids and they love Jesus, they're still going to make some decisions like, What were you thinking? Right? They're still going to do that. They're still going to do things that you don't agree with. But if they love Jesus, Jesus can take care of them. And that's what you want to do. You want to to give your kids Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you helps you follow Jesus with everything.